Good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll be having a look at one of our business, Harvard business tips. This particular one is how to navigate political discussions at work. We'll also be having a chat later on with Christina, and Christina's going to be giving us some more ideas from her startups that she's been looking at recently. But right now, we're going to actually do a bit of reminiscing with Dr. John Woodward, who's an associate lecturer in law here at the University of Newcastle. Good afternoon, John. Hello, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks uh, for joining us, and congratulations on the doctor. Thank you very much, Julian. It's great to have finally achieved it. Yeah, well, you, you've been in legal practice for uh, over 30 years, and a couple of years ago you embarked on this PhD. Why did you consider going down this path? Well, look, Julian, um, in, in short, the, the answer to that question is because I was seeking to um, research some alternatives uh, to dispute resolution that are less damaging than uh, the litigation process in which I've been involved in my professional career for all that time. Um, and I, Look, I, I've been involved in lots of different areas of, of uh, litigation, but uh, in, uh, at the end of the day, the common denominator in all of them is that uh, litigation involves a, a contest which is very expensive, um, drawn out, and, and very often doesn't produce the outcome that people expect of it even when they, they win the case. And, and it started so, with, it started with uh, being in a news agency in Charlestown looking at a book. Well, yeah, I, I walked into a, a news agency uh, and, and picked up a little copy of um, Roger Fisher and Bill Urry's book called Getting to Yes, Negotiating an Agreement Without Giving In. And, and I read it, bought the book, read it, and, and I, was, I was taken uh, very much by the common sense solutions that they applied to dispute resolution. So I did a bit of research into the Harvard uh, negotiating project, which those two uh, authors had kicked off in association with the Harvard Law School. So um, eventually that led me to back to academia. Um, I left practice a bit earlier than I might otherwise have done so and uh, got into uh, research doing, and I you know, signed up uh, for a PhD project at the University of Newcastle. I've now just completed my thesis and uh, and the PhD has been awarded to me, so so that that was great news um, yeah. for me. And and what um, was the thesis? The thesis was about this uh, particular subject. Yes, well, the the starting point uh, was really a challenge uh, to the assumption that we all make when we find ourselves in dispute with people. Uh, but this applies particularly in business. Um, that 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 being in dispute necessarily means that we're in competition with people. And 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 uh, that is absolutely not so. Now, how do I how do I know this? Well, you've only got to look around the marketplace and see people negotiating all kinds of contracts um, and business transactions and deals of every kind. Everyone gets a benefit. It happens every day, and it's it's an interesting thing actually to watch how people collaborate and negotiate outcomes by you know, giving away unimportant things to gain an advantage in relation to things that are important. Um, but the thing about those things is that that's part of negotiating um, and and, and uh, they are able to achieve an overall outcome which is beneficial to everyone. So, so what, what intrigued me... Sorry? Yeah, I was gonna, what, what did your research show as you were going through this process? Well, well, basically what it showed is, and I was researching lawyers' approach to these things, mm. and, and I'm wondering why it is that we take the approach 
that there is necessarily, um, you know, a point at which at which we cease to become collaborators and we start becoming opponents or competitors. And there's, as far as I'm able to see, there was n- there's never any line in the sand or any point at which we should cross that line and become enemies. And uh, and and uh, when we do, uh, we become destructive rather than constructive. Now, business generally recognises this, and I've done a lot of things um, to cut lawyers out of the equation by including in their business contracts uh, provisions to say, look, if there's a dispute here, uh, you know, this is how we'll deal with it. And they usually do that through either mediation or private arbitration or some other collaborative process. Now, the, the, the substance of my study is to ask whether we lawyers are on board with this, um, with this philosophy of life and whether we're helping our clients to exploit uh, what really are now quite well-developed negotiating techniques to bring better outcomes to conflict and, and dispute resolution. Now, if we're not, um, as lawyers, we risk doing ourselves out of work and becoming obsolete. If we are on board, then we face a whole new and improved style of, of um, legal practice, uh, which is much more exciting, really, and, and produces much better results that um, are focused on the end game. And, and it's an exciting prospect, really, for lawyers in the 21st century and beyond. So, so basically, that's, that's what I've been... That's what we've been doing. And have you found out whether the legal profession is moving this way? Is is it uh, going to be a quick change or a slow change? Um, it is moving um, towards that way, and I think uh, many lawyers these days would would uh, would say that they are on board with mediation. In fact, my research found that that almost everybody agrees um, that, that that that's that's the way of the future. Um, how we uh, reconfigure our training and our approach to it is is the problem, um, because uh, whilst they are on board with it, um, uh, it's a different skill set fundamentally, and and we're now kind of engaged with um, the process of trying to work out how best we can acquaint them with the with with the psychology of it all, and 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 uh, a mindset that's going to be open to uh, some different ways of looking at the problem solving. And, and as a lecturer at the university, I presume you're now going to be involved in uh, moving the legal profession, the training. Absolutely, absolutely, I am, and and I'm passionate about it. And uh, you know, it, it, I can see that um, tomorrow's lawyers will be sort of better equipped than than uh, yesterday's that were to to deal with these issues. Well, that's fantastic. And as far as I'm concerned, that's my role is to try and sort of bring that about. Well, thanks, for, thanks very much, John, for sharing that with us, and we'll have a chat with you again sometime in the near future. Terrific. Thanks, Julian. Take Thank care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Dr John Woodward there, an Associate Lecturer here with the University of Newcastle. It's interesting to see the way the legal profession is moving, and we'll keep our eyes on that. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on uh, 2NURFM. Time to pop over and have our innovation chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. And we're going to look at some more of those uh, ideas of startups. Yeah, that's right. So we've been very fortunate this week to have been listening to the Sydney um, heats of the Global Impact Challenge, listening to some moonshot ideas that are going to help solve the problems of the world, uh, and a couple of really outstanding um, uh, ideas, or actually some of them aren't ideas, have actually gone to MVP prototype testing. Uh, one of them in particular is a is a bed. It's called Get to Sleep Easy, and it's not a whole bed. It's it's the price is around one hundred and ten dollars retail, 
And what this bed does is part of the problem is as people get older or when they're infirmed and they're, and they're not well is getting out of bed. So the bed actually, ha- it's, a, it's like a, a top mattress and you put this top mattress on it in plates and it helps you get out of bed. It's like the, the um, back support lifts you out of bed so that getting out of bed becomes um, much easier because, you're, you know, it helps you into an upward movement. But the beauty, the, the even better thing about it is that it monitors your heartbeat. It can monitor um, pulse as well, clearly, because it's monitoring heartbeat, oxygen levels, etc. Um, and they're working on improving all those applications as well, which completely makes sense because... For example, if you have an elderly parent or somebody who's sick, it will, it can, if the breathing stops or if there's a, a fall detected or if someone hasn't gotten back into bed, it can set off an alarm that, that alerts you that people have stopped breathing, you know, or pulses, you know, we've lost the pulse, whatever, and therefore you can take action. So I thought that was um, quite remarkable. And having had, uh, you know, my father's been in hospital recently, being woken up every hour to have your pulse taken, to have your blood pressure checked. What we know that one of the biggest healers is sleep, you know, diet and nutrition. So, mm. but, you know, all, very excited about that. There was a young girl, um, Julian, who is 18 years old, who has come up with, um, with a device. It's called Excite um, that helps people with um, colour blindness. So it actually helps them sense um, the different colours. We've had things like um, identity platforms. So one of the biggest problems faced by, say, refugees or people moving into state or into country or, you know, in, moving into con- like across continents and we've got lots of people on the move at the moment is when you go into a new job or you, you know, you're after accommodation or something and you don't have references because you don't have a, a back check in a particular country, there's an organisation um, called WIN who are developing um, a system where everybody in the world will have an identity. So it's World Identity Network, which is where they get the wind from. Mm. Uh, people coming up with moonshot ideas around keeping um, keeping female, females particularly on track with finance and using algorithms and robotics um, to to detect, you know, what the what the what their superannuation etc is going to be in 20 years' time, and getting people interested with different devices and different gamifications at early ages. So amazing ideas happening out there that are seeing the light of day, some in prototype, some in dissociation format, but remarkable. And and obviously from what you just said, you know, a young girl of 18, it really doesn't matter what age people no. are, they're just seeing these ideas and uh, yeah. coming up with the solutions. Yeah, that's right. And, and, her, and everybody has a backstory. She has colour blindness in her family. Her brother mm. suffers colour blindness. It's in about three or four generations of her family. Uh, and mentioning children, I was actually had the absolute pleasure of presenting a workshop this week to 56 Year 7 students who blew me away with what they know about AR, VR, haptic suits, what's going on out there in the world of, um, of robotics and artificial intelligence and algorithms. The way they were talking, the language they were using was absolutely incredible. So a total credit to their school, to their upbringing, to the opportunities that they've had, but to their inquiring minds, you know. So sometimes we feel like the education system has huge gaps in it, and and it actually does. But in this instance, wonderful combinations have come together to ensure that these, you know, these young minds are being fed um, fantastic information that that has them seeking more. Because the important thing is that uh, uh, our... uh Listeners are more of the older generation, so we've got to uh, express what those uh, AR and other word, AI and other words mean. Yeah, so we're looking at artificial intelligence, augmented reality. But you know what the beauty is? There's so much opportunity for reverse mentoring. So the older business minds, mm. in, in conjunction and in collaboration 
with the young guys who know what AR, VR and the opportunities are, there's the wisdom of what's come before that marries with the wisdom of what's about to come. Um, and that's where we actually get the perfect combinations and amazing moonshot collaboration. So I'm all about the whole reverse mentoring thing. You know, I believe a scale-up can help a start-up. A mentor can help help a start-up and a start-up can help a mentor, you know. So establish yeah. business as corporate. And this is what we need. It's all that diversity we continually talk about. Um, and the different opinions, different perspectives, different knowledge people can bring to the table. I, I agree. And I, I mean, uh, obviously, a lot of the basic business principles don't change just because we're moving in a, another generation and different ways of doing things. For example, marketing, the principles of marketing don't change. The fact that we're now online instead of uh, yellow pages yep. doesn't make any real difference. No, that's right. And we often talk about the fact that, the, the, as you say, the basic principles don't change. It's the resources that we use to achieve mm. um, to mm. achieve success and milestones. That's what's changed. So now the technology's changed. You know, we used to run a car um, and the technology was an engine and the, and the gas and a wheel, etc. Now the technology is almost all electronics. Yeah. The resources change. What we're actually doing and what we're creating very rarely changes. Yeah, great. Well, thanks very much for your time. It must be a very hard job uh, judging these ideas. You know what? I have the pleasure of emceeing these events. I have taken myself right out of the judging. Oh, okay. Excellent. For exactly that reason. Yeah, yeah. exactly that reason. Yeah. So it is, it's difficult. They're all, uh, you know, amazing things happening. And, and what we're trying to do with these competitions is create additional opportunity, not yeah. just for the winners, but beyond, you know, beyond the competition. Yeah, well, that often does happen, doesn't it? I mean, you look at things like the uh, Eurovision Song Contest, just because a person wins it, a lot of the others that are exposed to the yeah, uh, media then go on to have yeah. successful careers. Yeah. And I think that's part of the beauty. So at, at, the, at the last event we had, which was at the um, Sydney School of Entrepreneurship, and we had several judges there and we had nine people pitching um, at the end of the event, judges actually said, I want to help that person, I want to help that person, I'm yeah. going to go and find them, I'm going to give them some support. Uh, and that was just, you know, that was music for us. That was gold. Great. Fantastic. Well, you have a great week, and we'll have a chat with you again next week. We will indeed. I look forward to it. Bye, Julian. Bye-bye. Christina there with some of those great startup ideas. Business, the law, and you on 2NURFM. It's time to have our Harvard Business Review tip. But just before we do it, I've just come with talking with uh, Christina about innovation and innovators. I've just come across some very old ones that look very, very uh, interesting. For example, in 1855, founder of the Geelong Advertiser, James Harrison, was cleaning a movable print type with sulfuric uh, ether when he noticed that the metal cooling as the solvent evaporated. It was a classic light bulb moment. He used his discovery to create a vapor compression refrigerator system, which he patented as a refrigerating machine in 1855. The following year, a system he designed to keep beer cool proved popular with meat packing factories as well as breweries. By 1859, he'd founded the Victoria Iceworks and in partnership with Sir Peter Nicol Russell, he established the Sydney Ice Company in 1860 with his invention generally considered the blueprint for today's refrigerators and air conditioning. Harrison's birthday, April the 17th, is still uh, celebrated as International Refrigeration Day. So there's an idea coming back, well, nearly 200 years, uh, to, nearly, yeah, getting on for 200 years, as a result of cleaning a printing machine. 
So looking at uh, Harvard Business Review tip, today's one is how to navigate political discussions at work. Talking about politics at work can be tricky, however however strong your views are. You don't want to alienate your co-workers. Here's some strategies for having a tactful diplomatic dialogue. First of all, focus on learning. Chances are you're not going to change your co-worker's mind, so frame your conversation as a chance to learn about their viewpoint instead. Ask questions, be curious and open-minded. Secondly, show respect. Validate the content of your colleague's argument with phrases like, I can see you care about this a lot, or it sounds like you've thought this through. Thirdly, seek common ground. To prevent the conversation from getting overheated, look for areas where you or your colleagues are aligned. Don't demonise the other person just because you disagree. And finally, deflect if necessary. If your colleague brings up politics... You don't have to join the conversation. You're not obligated to be candid about your thoughts and feelings. Some interesting points because those do sometimes come up in our workplace, don't they? Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, the value of mediation and the way mediation is going in the legal profession and some of those great start-up ideas. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to chat with digital advisor Kimberly Claire Campbell about making Google work for you in your business. We'll have a minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Till then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Amelia Earhart once said, the most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is mere tenacity. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.